0: Our scripture reading this morning is to come from Philippians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 11. Um, And this is Paul's prayer for the Philippians, and more importantly, it's, it's God's word to us this morning. Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the very first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus." And this, I pray, that your love may overflow still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment, so that you may discover the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Uh, My name is Grant. I am new to the area. If you don't know, if you haven't heard about RUF, I know you guys have been praying for it, so I'm sure there's some familiarity there. Um, RUF is a new campus ministry that I'll be involved with planting uh, at Old Dominion. If you don't know what RUF is, you're in good company. I didn't know what RUF was for the longest time either. Uh, It is the PCA denominational campus ministry. We believe other campus ministries are good, too, but we really value putting trained, seminary trained, theologically trained, uh, counseling trained people on campus to minister to students. It is part of the the Presbyterian denomination, but we believe the gospel in Jesus is for all students, so we're not just trying to seek out people with Presbyterian backgrounds. We're trying to find people. anyone who is willing to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ for their life and to do Bible studies and, and to be there present with students. Um, so just in insofar as, as what that looks like, I'm gonna be at Old Dominion. I've gone through uh, kind of training to do this. Um, and so if you are interested in that ministry, interested in learning more about it or hearing more about it or talking to me, I've got a newsletter sign up out in the lobby that you can feel free to sign up on. It has my information too if you wanna reach out to me. Um, and you can kind of see what are things that you can kind of partner alongside and, and praying for. Um, and if the Lord so moves you even to give a little bit to the ministry. So um, that's all I really want to say about that. This morning's not about me. It's about Jesus. I just wanted to give you some introduction to who I am and why I'm here today. Um, instead, we're going to be looking at, at Philippians. We're going to look at, at Paul's words to the Philippians. And what I want us to think about before we, we kind of jump into it is uh, life can be challenging, right? There's a lot of, of hard circumstances in life. There are, are difficulties that we face in life. And so how do we keep going in the midst of those difficulties? How do we keep going on when things are hard, when, when life's circumstances kind of have us down? And that is what Paul is going to encourage the Philippians in and what we'll see God's encouragement to us this morning. So let us go before the Lord in prayer and ask him that he opens our hearts to his word. Father, we, we thank you Lord, for waking us up this morning, for giving us another day to sing praises to you. We thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you for your word that you've given to us. We thank you that, that you have told us that you are the solid foundation in which we can build our house, Lord. And so when we face the miseries of this life, when we face the, the challenges of this world, Lord, we know that, that we have you to lean on. You are our rock and our redeemer, We pray that we can look to you, even this morning, as we come from uh, all sorts of crazy, hectic things going on this weekend, maybe not getting to bed as early as we would have liked last night, or maybe uh, having to shove kids into a minivan this morning. Lord, our minds are everywhere but here. Lord, we pray that you give us focus. Lord, that uh, you speak to our hearts, that you melt away all of the worries of this world so that we can hear the word that you have for us this morning. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you speak to us, Lord. We love you and we thank you for all that you've done for us. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I grew up watching a lot of cartoons. In a lot of ways, I feel like uh, cartoons raised me. And I've like. I feel like I learned a lot from cartoons, not even just the newer ones, but those, those old, like Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, that kind of cartoon. I feel like they have so much to teach you about the world. and An example of that, uh, something that you can probably, you probably remember yourself, was Wile E. Coyote. Wile E. Coyote has, uh, you know, he's always get, getting hurt because of his chase for the roadrunner. Uh, but he's got this one thing that happens all the time where he's, he's chasing the roadrunner and the roadrunner runs off of a cliff. And that's fine because the roadrunner is a bird, so he can just fly away. And Wiley Coyote runs right off the cliff. And you can probably remember that in your mind. He's he's running and all of a sudden he realizes there's no ground beneath him. But he doesn't fall yet. First he looks down and he sees that there is impending doom awaiting him. And I think a lot of times in our Christian life we are uh, in that exact moment. We find ourselves in that exact situation that Wiley Coyote is in. It's like we've been running and running and all of a sudden the ground has come out from under us. And it's only a matter of time before everything comes crashing down. You know, we've got these life circumstances, we've got challenges in life where it feels like, Lord, I don't know how you are going to get me through this. Lord, it feels like it's only a matter of time before everything comes crashing in. I mean, it's, it's Lord, I don't know how you are going to get that next rent payment for me. Lord, I don't know how you're going to reconcile this family disagreement that we have. Lord, I don't know how you're going to get me out of bed in the morning because my stress and anxiety are so high that I can't even function to go about life. We've got all of these these life circumstances, these sin struggles, these things in our life where we say, Lord, I know your promises are true, Lord, I know you're good, but I don't know how you're going to get me through this. We've got these circumstances that, that we just don't know our fears, our anxieties, we just don't know how God is going to deliver us. And so I invite you, as we think about this passage in Philippians, to wonder to yourself, what are the things that I fear? What are the things that I don't really trust that the Lord can get me through? What are the life circumstances that are going on in my life that I just don't know, Lord, how you are going to deliver me in this? What we'll see in Paul's words to the Philippians is both Paul and the Philippians are facing some really challenging circumstances, and yet Paul shares how to live a life that is godly and a life that puts through trust in the Lord in the midst of the troubles of this world. So what are their circumstances? Uh, the Philippians, their church plant, they've, they've uh, began under the work of Paul, and things are going well, but now they're, they're facing some real problems, right? They've got some financial problems, that they're facing, that we know from the book. They've also got a a fight going on between some members of the church that is threatening the very existence and unity of the church. And so they're a church that is really starting to find some, some problems that are arising to the point where it threatens if the church will continue to exist or not. They've got some real wonders of God. What exactly are you doing here? Because we aren't sure if we'll continue being a church soon. And meanwhile, Paul himself is in prison at this point. And you think about what that's like for Paul. Paul is out planting churches, preaching the gospel, seeing people come to know Jesus. He feels like he's really doing some positive work and then all of a sudden he's imprisoned and he can't do any of that anymore. And where someone like myself might respond to that with bitter frustration against God, with anger, with God, I was doing something and now all of a sudden I can't. What are you doing? Instead, if you know about the book of Philippians, he responds with rejoicing. And that rejoicing is what we're going to see as he's talking to or praying for the Philippians. The rejoicing in the struggles of this life because of who Jesus is. That no matter how bleak things might seem, God is finishing the work that he has started in us. And that's what we're going to see today is that how do we keep going? How do we persevere? We can keep going because no matter how difficult life is, Christ is completing the, the work that he started in us. That Christ is going to finish the work, no matter how hard it is to get out of bed in the morning tomorrow because of your anxiety, no matter how, how bleak it might seem as far as what am I going to do for paychecks, what, what is going on in life, no matter what happens, Christ is finishing the work that he started. So how do we keep going? Well, the first point that we're going to see is that we can persevere because God is perfecting us. We can persevere because it is God who is perfecting us. That means that we can be confident that God will get us through the troubles of this life because God's work has sealed us. Look at verses three through six with me. Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Get this in verse six. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. The words that Paul is using there, he says says, the same God who began the work in you is going to complete that work. And so what he's saying is, is Jesus not only has saved us, but it's Jesus who sustains us. It's not only Jesus who has brought us into salvation, but it's Jesus who is going to get us until the end. And this is the beautiful thing about the Bible, is the Bible tells us how the story ends. You know, Dave was talking about previews, and I think that's a, that's a beautiful example. One thing that's happened in previews is uh, they are better than the movie a lot of times, as he said, but also sometimes they give away too much. And so you see it, and you're like, I already know how the movie's going to end. Well, the Bible does that, but it's, it's not in a way that ruins the movie. It's in a way that makes the movie even richer because we know what the ending of the story is going to be. We know that Jesus will get us to the end. Amen. And so we can find peace in knowing that God promises us that he will perfect us just as surely as he has saved us. You can think about it like this. If you've ever mailed a letter... Uh, I'm sure some of you in this room have never mailed a letter but many of you have and if not you at least have the idea in your mind uh, when you mail a letter you, know, you write your letter and you stick it in the envelope and you lick it and you seal it up and you send it out into the world and when it gets sent out of the world you know the mailman takes it and they put it in their bag and they put it in their truck and it goes into the office and uh, it goes through these machines and it goes onto another truck and it might get on a boat, it might get on a plane it goes through all these different things and it really faces a lot of elements of life by the end of it it might be crumpled up in the corner it might have a stain on it it might have been exposed to some of the elements it'll have gone through who knows how many people's hands and machines it'll have gone through so much but what happens in the end is it gets where it's going gets to its final destination and it gets opened up and the contents inside are untouched because it was sealed And so for so many of us, we are sealed by God's spirit and we go out into the world and we experience the elements of life and we're going to wear a little bit of life on us and we're going to be crumbled up in the corner and we're going to be stained and we're going to have really gone through some things and have been mishandled by so many people. But what we know is that when we get to that final destination, we will remain untouched because Christ has sealed us. Because the spirit of God has protected our souls. We don't always know the steps of this life, that God is going to take us through, but we know that Christ will get us to our final destination. And that helps us in our times of hardships because we know how the story ends. We don't know how the story is being written. We don't know what's going on, but we know where the story is going. John tells us in the book of Revelation in chapter, in chapter 21, verse 4, he says, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there will no longer be any mourning or any crying or any pain. Brothers and sisters, this is the end of our story. Is that one day Jesus will bring us into his presence where we see him face to face. And there will be no more weeping. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. Because we are in the presence of our Savior. Brothers and sisters, this is the ending of our story. That God promises us that we will be sealed because of his word. But how does that help us face today's problems? You know, you're saying to yourself, Jesus told me to worry about today's problems, so how is that going to help me today? We need help today. And this is the second point that we see in in what Paul is writing to the Philippians, is that we can persevere because we can participate in each other's suffering. We can persevere because we can participate in each other's suffering. Or maybe more importantly, we can persevere because others are participating in our suffering. What does that mean? It means that we can rely on one another because God's grace has united us. Look at verses seven and eight. Paul writes, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you, meaning it's only right for me to know that that Christ is going to, to bring you to the end, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. You all are partakers of grace with me. What does he mean by that? He means that the same grace that has saved you is the grace that saves me. What unites us together is Jesus Christ. What unites us together is that Christ loved you so much that he gave himself for you, and he's loved me so much that he's given himself for me. That unites us together. That we are Christ's beloved. We are partakers of grace together. Now, don't miss what this means. Paul is saying this about the Philippian church, but this is true of every believer across this country, across the globe, across time. We are united with every other believer in every other time on earth, in every other country, in every other place, across the city, across time. Because Jesus loved us. Because we are partakers of his grace with one another. And so what does this tell us about, about understanding the Christian life, about how to keep going in the Christian life, of being partakers of grace one another? It's that we share one another's burdens. It's that we cannot do this alone. We are not built to do this alone. We are built to do this together. You know, I was reflecting on this kind of recently in the Lord's Prayer. It does not start with my Father who is in heaven, it's our Father. It's a prayer that's meant to be prayed as a body. That we are not meant to do this alone. And so we minister to one another, testifying of God's goodness in the midst of life's troubles. Don't miss this. This means that when other people are going through difficult times, we minister to them. We remind them of the goodness of God. We remind them that they are partakers of grace. We remind them of who Jesus is because sometimes life is hard and sometimes we lose sight of that. But we've got others who come alongside us and point us back to the goal. Brothers and sisters, you are not meant to do this alone. And so, church, are you hurting Are you a person who is feeling the pain and the troubles of sin? Are you facing physical needs that are so insurmountable that you don't know how you are going to continue? Are you having a hard time even waking up in the morning because you just know there's no way that you can go out and face the day? Are you so overcome by your sin and your struggles that you feel like God has lost you? Then I ask you, lean in on the church. Lean in on your Christian brothers and sisters to remind you of the promises of God. Lean in to remind you that Christ is finishing the work that he has started in you. That though it might not feel like he is doing anything in you, the grace of God is at work in your soul. Lean in on the church to remind you that God promises and God delivers. Are you so overcome by this sin you feel like you can't keep going? Lean in on the church to sharpen you in your righteousness. Lean on the church to encourage you in your pits and in your trials. If you are hurting, surround yourself with those who will remind you of the goodness of God's love for you. If you're a person who's in a good place right now, then please testify of God's goodness to your brothers and sisters who are hurting. Pray for them. Encourage them. Bring them over to your house for meals so that you can minister to them. Read scripture with them. Point them to Jesus. Remind them that it's Christ who said, Come to me, all who are weak and weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Church, we are not meant to do this alone. Please lean in on your gifts to encourage those who are hurting. If you're hurting, please speak out and look to your brothers and sisters to accept you with open arms and to point you back to who Jesus Christ is, and to remind you that Christ finishes the work that he starts. Immerse yourself among God's people and in God's word. There's a story I read a few years ago. um, I think it's up in in Minneapolis. Uh, There were some wildlife officials who were uh, on the news kind kind of begging people to stop putting goldfish into lakes and ponds and I didn't know this, I learned this about goldfish in the time, is typically if you, you know, you, like, you're a kid and you go to the carnival or whatever and you win a goldfish and your parents don't want you to take care of it so they you know, let it go, um, and it goes out into the, to the water and typically if they stay in those little aquariums they only get you know, to be about the size of like maybe a nickel or a quarter uh, but if you put them out in the wild where they kind of have free reign they never stop growing they keep growing and growing and growing and growing until, you know, eventually these, these goldfish are like these massive creatures, uh, like football size. You know, I'm watching this video of, of these, these wildlife refuge people pulling goldfish out of the water. And I mean, they're the size of like their palm or their arm even. And so they're saying like, please stop doing this. They're not good for the ecosystem. It's, it's harmful. Uh, but I, I bring that up to say, we're like goldfish. We grow in whatever environment that we're put in. And so if you put yourself, if you isolate yourself into that little thing where you're not surrounded by God's word or by Christians or in fellowship, you're not going to grow. But if you put yourself in the midst of God's people, if you immerse yourself in God's word and in fellowship, then God's grace is going to continue to grow you. And so don't isolate yourself. We are not meant to do this alone. We are meant to do this in the midst of God's people. We are meant to worship together. That You you hear those those, uh, scriptures in the book of Revelation and it's all nations singing together. That, That is the worship that God desires. That is the place where we grow. Christians, don't isolate yourselves. Lean in on the church. Persevere by participating in each other's suffering. Now, the Christian life is not simply about surviving. That's only just about getting to tomorrow, though. The Christian life is about living in obedience to Christ and becoming more like him. So this third point that Paul encourages the Philippians church, or the Philippian church in is he says, uh, or he, we see that we can persevere because our growth comes from God and not from us. We can persevere because it, it doesn't depend on us. We can persevere because our growth comes from God. We're able to continue on in growing in our righteousness because it's God's righteousness that is filling us. We can live in obedience because God's righteousness is filling us. We see this in verses 9 through 11, and we'll kind of slow down here and look at what Paul's exhortation is. But he says this, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment, so that you may approve of the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God's work in us is not simply that we survive, but that we grow to become more and more like him. And this is a word we, we call, uh, in, in theology, where we call this sanctification, which is the idea that that God's grace is working in us so that we are restored into the image of God, that we are a marred image of God, but through the work that Christ is doing in us, we begin to look more and more like Jesus. We begin to more and more be able to die to our sin and to live unto righteousness. And so Paul is giving us a little bit of a playbook on what sanctification looks like, how in our lives we grow to look more like Christ, how in persevering in the faith we grow closer and closer to Jesus, not only our souls longing for him, but also in that we begin to look and act like him because his righteousness is being imputed into us. And so he starts there in verse 9 by saying, uh, by praying that your love may abound still more and more. Christians, that, that as we grow closer to Jesus, we grow in our love, not only for him, but for his creation that we abound more and more in love. And he says that our love overflows in two things, both in knowledge and in discernment. So as we grow closer to Jesus, as we grow in our love for him, we grow in our knowledge, meaning that we know more about God's will, we know more about scripture, we know more about who God is, but not that it stops there, that we also grow in our discernment and how we implement those things into our lives, how we live out scripture. You know, I think for for. I don't want to accuse any of you of this. This is certainly true of my life, though. Is that sometimes I grow in the knowledge part, but not the discernment part? And that can kind of make me a little bit of a jerk. I know so much about God's word. I know so much about God's will. But I'm not actually living it in my life. Instead, I'm just telling other people how they ought to live it in their lives. No, but growing in Christ, as our love abounds and abounds, it's not only growing in knowledge, but it's also growing in our discernment. It's not only growing in what we know about God, but how we use that knowledge to live life, to love our communities, our neighbors, to, to in our office space, care for those around us. That the word of God changes us, that the righteousness of Christ changes our actual lives, the way that we live, the way that we conduct ourselves. Through Christ, our love grows, and it grows us in our knowledge of God's word and how to live in faithful obedience in our lives in our communities, in our families, in our jobs, and out in the world. But Paul goes on in verse 10 to pray that you may approve of things that are excellent, that you may be pure and blameless. And this is something that can only really come from God, It is the, the ability to, to approve of the things that are excellent, which, which what this means is that we, we start to hate things that are evil and love things that are good. And of course, in our sinful hearts and our rebellion against God, we love things that are evil, right? I mean, the whole reason that we sin is because we enjoy it. But it takes this heart transformation, it takes this work of Christ being imputed onto us to change our hearts, to cling to what is good and to despise what is evil to approve of the things that are excellent. We are not able to do this ourselves, but as we grow closer and closer to Christ, we grow in our ability and in our love for him. We love the things that he loves. And what are the things that he loves, he loves, of course, righteousness. He loves the law. He loves holiness. He also loves the lost. And so we grow in caring for the lost, in sacrificing ourselves and our, our means on behalf of the lost. But we cannot do this unless God changes our hearts. But because of the work that Christ has done us, we learn to choose good over evil. And he says to be pure and blameless. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say perfect. That the life of a Christian does not mean that one day we have it all figured out. But just that we're pure and blameless, meaning uh, that, that we have a good reputation in the world. Sure, we make mistakes. That's why we believe in the gospel. Because we know that we fail. We know that we're incapable of, in our own power, being righteous. But we know that as Christ changes our hearts, we can have good reputations in the world. We can be known as a people who are loving, who care. Finally, he prays in verse 11 that you be filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes from Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, Although Paul is encouraging us to grow in our righteousness, know that our righteousness cannot come from ourselves. We have nothing to offer. We have no righteousness outside of Christ, but in God's wise plan, he has deemed to impute his righteousness onto us. And so as we look to Jesus, he is making us more like himself. Our righteousness comes from God, but... And this is an important distinction. We wear that righteousness. It should change us. So we don't gain righteousness through our ability, but it does bear itself out through our right living. That the fruit of our labors does begin to look more and more like Christ as he changes us and as he works in our hearts. That our righteousness comes from Jesus, not from ourselves but our righteousness does come from Jesus. He does give us righteousness. It's not ours, it's his, but he does give it to us. And so brothers and sisters, lean in on that. If you feel like you're very far from that, if you feel that distance, pray, Jesus, give me more grace. Give me more of your righteousness. If you struggle with sin and shame because you feel guilty because of the things you've done, lean in on that. Jesus, you have given me righteousness. You have accepted me in your sight not because of what I've done, because of what you've done. Pray for him to grow that in you. Brothers and sisters, uh, outside of Christ, the day of Christ is very terrifying because we have nothing to offer. That final day that we talked about where there is no more weeping, there is no more pain, there is no more crying, that's not for everybody. That's for those who have received Christ's righteousness. And so if you don't know Christ, I pray, I ask that you lean into him, that you ask him for his righteousness, that you believe that his finished work of the Christ or of on the cross can be implemented into your soul and that he can begin that work in you so that he can complete it. If you have placed your work that, or if your faith though in the finished work of Christ, you are being filled with his righteousness. You might not feel it today, you might not feel it in a year, but know that you are being filled with his righteousness. You are being made more like him through the power of his Holy Spirit. No matter what the circumstances you may face in this life are, know that Christ is perfecting you. Christ is is working in your heart until that day that you finally come face to face with your saviour. So know that that in the difficulties of this life, in the challenges of this life, we know that that Christ is perfecting us. We know that the church is here to help us. And we know that Jesus is growing righteousness in our own hearts. Lean in on those truths. Lean in on the prayer that Paul has for the Philippians and has for us when the challenges of life are surfacing and it feels like you can't get through them. When you feel like wily Coyote and you feel like there's nothing under me, and I'm about to just fall to my doom lean in on Jesus and the promises that he will complete the work that he has started in us God is going to finish the work that he has started, he has sealed us and so if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, he will get us where we're going remain in him live day to day in him constantly giving yourself over to Jesus let's pray Father, we praise you for the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ, who is filling us. We bring glory to your name because of the work that you have done in us. Lord, because for so many of us, our testimonies can proclaim that there is a righteousness that is totally foreign to us that has grown in us. Lord, that as we look back to our life without you, we were filled with anger and hatred and loving things that are evil. Jesus, but because of the work that you have done, because of your perfect obedience that you have, have implemented into our hearts, Lord, that you, your righteousness that you have, have imputed unto us, Lord, that you have changed our hearts. And Lord, although our hearts fall and fail often, your grace and forgiveness abounds new every day. Jesus, that we still stack up so short against who you are, Lord, and always will, because you are perfect, and you are holy, and you are righteous, and we are not, Lord. We thank you for the forgiveness that you have freely offered to us when we do fail. And we pray, Lord, that you change our hearts, that you grow us, that you sanctify us, that you make us more and more like yourself, Lord, you give us strength new every day to say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness and obedience to you. You've promised us that you will finish the good work that you began, Lord. And we thank you and we praise you that you have promised those things to us. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen.